0: Uh, Many of you will know that over the last several months, I have been preaching away in different churches, looking for a new job as a pastor, and on every occasion, as we've gone away to preach, my family's come with me, someone in our family has been ill. That would include, actually, the time when I came here three and a half years ago um, to preach before you voted me on as assistant pastor. If you remember, I was stood right here preaching for Max 21, I think it was, and my wife Alison was throwing up in the bathroom at the back. Now, it's not always that bad, but it has been something like the and or chicken pox or throat infections or very bad colds or viruses. But it's very strange that it all seems to happen when I'm away preaching, and particularly looking for a new job. I was away preaching last week, but I wasn't looking there for a new job, and we were fine, we weren't ill. Is it coincidence? Or is there something else going on? I'm sure you would agree that life generally can be hard. But as a Christian, we're not promised that it would be any easier. In fact, often we know the Christian experience is harder than the other experiences, because As well as facing the general challenges of life, there's the kind of spiritual element to our lives, and we face opposition from the world, from our flesh, and from the devil, as we talk about. Of course, we're well aware of those in other countries that suffer particular intense persecution and pastors are arrested and imprisoned, even killed. Churches are burned down and people live in fear. Why is our world so aggressive against the church? And even in our own country, in our own society, we are in a place that's increasingly becoming more and more against the church. People have the same agenda, which is to shut up Christians, to shame the name of Jesus, to put pressure on us as Christians, to compromise on what we believe. Think of the new atheists who accuse us of, of being evil and dangerous. Secularists who say, Keep your religion private. Don't force it on other people. And there are obviously a number of groups and institutions who desire to promote unbiblical lifestyles and morality and ungodly ethics. And ironically, they call us the immoral ones. We face opposition. Sometimes it's powerful. It's, it can be overwhelming. We can feel perhaps the church is being defeated. Is weak. Has the gospel lost its power? Maybe for you, your position is a bit closer to home. People you know, your friends, family, who, who love you, they're fine with you. But when you start speaking about Jesus, there is this uncharacteristic aggression, hardness. And you think, will they ever become Christians? And then there's our own daily battle with sin. The temptations in our hearts and our minds that fight against the the spiritual and the Holy Spirit's conviction in our hearts and our souls, that that battle going on and often sin wins out. Life as a Christian is hard and we can say, oh where is God? What is he doing? What is the future? Will it all ever come to an end? Basically, is there more going on than we can see with our eyes? Is there more going on in the Christian experience than what we can see? Well, tonight we are in Daniel 10. The last three chapters of Daniel are are one big unit, um, one big last vision that he has. Tonight we're doing chapter 10, then come back next week for 11 and 12, where we see this vision, the outlining of, of future events. And it begins with this big summary verse in verse 1, where we hear that in the third year of King Cyrus a revelation is given to Daniel its message is true it concerned this great war and the understanding of the message came to him in a vision it's like a title verse and then in verse 2 he starts to speak again in the first person and he says at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks I ate no choice food no meat or wine touched my lips and I used no lotions until the three, day, three weeks were over Picture the scene. It's a new year. The Jews have just celebrated Passover. So they're remembering the time when God rescued them out of Egypt and brought them into the new land. It's a, sign, it's a time of celebration. But Daniel here is mourning. He's fasting. He's praying. It looks like he has some time away. He's off near this river Tigris and he's away from his palace duties. He's not eating properly. He's not drinking properly. He's not taking time to protect his skin against the heat. Something is troubling him, and he's seeking God to find out what it is. Poor Daniel is this old man, well into his eighties at this point. He's been away from his home in Jerusalem for pretty much all his adult life. But two years earlier, two years earlier, when King Cyrus came to the throne, he said to the Jews, "You can go back." so some of them did go back to rebuild the temple and it was going to be a good time an exciting time the temple began but only the foundations had been laid and not a lot of people went back and it didn't seem to be all that they expected it to be there were delays and stoppages there was opposition the king halted the work this post-exile return to the land wasn't all this glorious and triumphant time that they expected it to be. And then of course for Daniel himself, his own experience as we've seen over the last few weeks, he's had these visions, he's been given insights into what the future holds. It's on uncertain time he's questioning, maybe he's even doubting that what God's doing. Last two weeks ago when Dan took us through chapter 9 we saw that it wasn't just 70 years of exile, but it was going to be 77, 70 weeks a longer period of trouble and opposition and conflict still was to come before this future, whatever was going to happen would be the happy ever after. Well, Daniel is seeking understanding. Well, what happens to him? Well the next thing we read in verse 4 is that he has this this vision of a man dressed in linen. But chronologically, the next thing that happens is that God answers his prayer. He sends an angel in response to his prayer. Do you see that? Look down at verse 12. This heavenly being says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. We see, like in chapter 9, that as soon as he prays, God responds and sends the angel. But unlike chapter 9, there is this strange delay of 21 days. Some other heavenly being is hindering this other one from getting to Daniel. There seems to be this conflict there in the spiritual realm. Who is this prince of Persian kingdom? How is he able to delay a messenger sent by God? Daniel has encountered angels before. He's met Gabriel on previous occasions and Gabriel's been explaining things to him and giving him insights, but I wonder whether here we see something of the more that's going on that we can't see with our eyes. He's been given vision after vision of earthly wars and conflicts and kingdoms that will rise. But now, we see that at the same time, there's something else going on in the spiritual realm. That's the first thing I want us to think about this evening, is that we are in a spiritual battle. As Grace read the passage to us, I'm sure you could pick out various non-human type beings. We've got this man dressed in linen. We'll talk about him later. Then we've got one who reveals himself and speaks to Daniel, this one that looks like a man. Then there's this prince of the Persian kingdom. In verse 20, there's another prince of Greece. Who's he? Then you've got the chief prince called Michael. I don't want to spend loads of time getting into all of this not the main point but we will say a few things because I'm sure you're all asking the same question who on earth are all these people but I think generally, simply, broadly they are angels one of them appears to Daniel in the likeness of a man because most of us will know angels famously from the New Testament, from stories like Gabriel and Mary when a, the Christmas story that we'll think about in a few weeks But angels and spiritual beings appear throughout the Bible, even right back at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we meet this serpent, who we later find out is Satan. The serpent deceives Adam and Eve, doesn't he, into eating the fruit from the tree and causes them to sin. Satan was a good angel who fell, and, and Satan hates God. And his job is to try and stop God's work, to oppose him, to try and destroy and stop God's plans, to harm Christians, to stop other people from joining God's kingdom. He doesn't want God to succeed and he and his fellow demons are trying to halter God. And as you read through the Bible and here in chapter 10, you kind of build up a picture of this spiritual world, something that's Unseen. Daniel is, the book of Daniel is full of this content of kingdoms that rise great powers whether it's kingdoms that he's been through or whether it's future kingdoms to come but we see that with every earthly visible conflict and situation that goes on that that somehow in some way behind the scenes there is this spiritual element it's not that they're in isolation that all this stuff's going on we can't see it but it's got nothing to do with us no it's seem to be directly linked. The issues and troubles in Jerusalem perhaps are because of these princes in Persia that are causing the trouble. Now, of course, for me to talk about all of this stuff, angels and spiritual beings in today's culture and society will cause many people to laugh, to mock us. Say, why do you believe in such foolish fairy tales? But why do people have an unusual, uncharacteristic hatred for Christians and all for the things of God? Why is praying such hard work? Why do we want to do anything but read the Bible sometimes? Why does temptation to sin seem to come at the most critical times? Why is there just an untimely family fallout on Sunday morning just as you're about to go to church? Why are we facing such long delays with the Irving process? Why does my family keep getting ill when I go to preach? And that's not even to speak about stories of more obvious demonic activity and oppression, even possession that happens in some places. Is it just the way it is? Or is it perhaps a spiritual battle going on in the heavenlies that has effect for our lives day by day Satan is on the case to damage God's plan, to disrupt it to cause problems for us now we don't know how it works we can't see it we're not told details but if we live in this kind of a world where what we can see is opposition in various ways that affects us What do we need? Well, we need to know that there is someone in the heavenly realms that is on our side that's fighting for us. There is a spiritual battle going on. It affects the real world that we live in. There is this vision of a great war that we'll look at next week and it's not just things going on on earth, but there's a spiritual element to it. However, for us, for Daniel, we're in a spiritual battle, but yet God has won the war through Christ. Look back at verse 2 and 3. Daniel has spent these three weeks, he's mourning and fasting, he's seeking understanding, and then on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves so I was left alone gazing at this great vision I had no strength left my face turned deathly pale and I was helpless then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him I fell into a deep sleep my face to the ground Daniel has this incredible vision of a man a vision that's so brilliant and glorious and powerful. He describes this being as having, looking like precious metals, glowing jewels, shining brightly. His voice is like no ordinary voice. It's like a multiple people all speaking at the same time. Sights and sounds overwhelming. Daniel's friends, like those on the, with Paul on the road to Damascus, they, they're terrified, they flee. But Daniel is overwhelmed by the sights and the sounds and the presence of this being, whoever it is, and he falls unconscious. It's very really hard to know how to illustrate that. <laughs> Who is this man? Who is it that Daniel can't even stand before? He falls almost dead. Or well, was he an angel? Some people think he was an angel. Daniel has met angels before they 've had profound effects on him, but nothing like this being maybe he was a vision of God somehow. There are occasions in the Bible where God does reveal himself and he speaks to people and, and often they 've had similar experiences to daniel they 've been flat on their faces. Think of Isaiah in the temple, Ezekiel also by a river, or even the apostle John in revelation they They all see these great visions that cause them to to fear, to be conscious of their sin, to fall down before such beings. Think of John in Revelation. He sees a man having a golden sash around him. His eyes are like blazing fire. His feet glowed like bronze in the fire. His face shone like the sun. His voice like the sound of rushing waters. Does that sound very, very similar to what Daniel sees? John sees a vision of the glorified Christ. Daniel, I suggest, is seeing a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. God, the second person of the Trinity, revealing himself to Daniel in this wonderful, powerful, awesome, overwhelming experience. No one can see God and live. We know that from from Moses' experience, but somehow in God's mercy, he's given Daniel even just a glimpse of his majesty and his glory. Well, what happens to Daniel? How does he respond to this vision? It's thought perhaps that by verse 10, the vision is gone or it's just died down, and and now an angel perhaps has come to help him, to help him recover But you notice that it takes three touches of this angel to help Daniel to his feet finally? One commentator said it's like him receiving celestial first aid, trying to comfort him and get him back up. First of all, he's on his hands and knees. He can't even get further than that, but eventually he stands up and he's trembling still at the end of verse 10. The angel speaks to him, but he falls back down again. It takes another touch for him to be able to speak and then finally stand. Daniel, in his own words, kind of proves that he seems unworthy. He says in verse 17, How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Daniel has seen God. by his grace and now he needs more of God's grace to help him to be able to stand but the question that I've been asking all week is why? why has God done this? why has he revealed himself to Daniel? and why in this way what has it got to do? it's different from what else we have read in the book so far often when God reveals himself to people it's been earlier on in their life near the beginning of their ministry that near the end of his life I was reading something this week that got me thinking and that was to think about all the different times when God has revealed himself to different people and to notice that God always appears to them in a way that is most needed it's most relevant to their situation that's most helpful to them Think of Abraham. Abraham was a migrant, travelling to the land of Canaan, but yet was was struggling to believe God's promises. Then in Genesis 18, God appears in the form of of three travellers. They come and and encourage him and say, Sarah, your wife will give birth. What about Jacob? Jacob, the deceiver, got himself into lots of trouble with his family and friends. Genesis 32, God meets him as a wrestler. And they fight all night. Or Joshua. Who leads the people into the promised lands. In Joshua 5 we have this commander of the armies of the Lord. God is reminding him that it is God who fights. What of Daniel? Daniel is anxious. Daniel is afraid perhaps. He has these great visions of great powers and kingdoms. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand the future of his people. He's doubting God perhaps. Will God ever win? Will his people ever finally have their land again? And so God appears to him in his power and his majesty to show Daniel through the vision but also through the the words that will come on in chapters 11 and 12 that God is in control. That God does know the future. That it's in his hands. It's even in his own book. He's written it out. God will have the victory. God will bring an end to evil. Verse 20 tells us that there's this book. The book of truth. Next week we'll see this book unraveled. And we'll see just a glimpse of details that will happen in the future for Daniel. But it's the book of truth. The book to encourage. Because... God knows what will happen. It's all in his plan. It's all under his control. The future is written. There will be an end one day and God wins and he has the victory. Now for Daniel, he he can't see that. He doesn't know what it would be like. He doesn't see how it gets worked out. But for us, us, this side of the cross, we see the beginning of it. We see actually that the war is won at the cross. we see that actually God has revealed himself. God has appeared to the world in a way that the world needed. God has appeared to the world as the God-man. Taken on flesh just as we needed. And we see God in Christ and we see him in his glory. The cross is the ultimate display of God's glory. As Christ there dies, as he takes on sin, as he fights Satan, as he beats death in his resurrection, as he achieves redemption for his people. Freedom from slavery to sin and Satan. And because of Christ, all those after and all those before who trust in him can stand Daniel can stand before God because Christ has dealt with the issues of sin, Satan, death on the cross. We're very familiar with the gospel story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. But Christ also is fighting the forces of evil. He's defeating Satan and his power. It's a wonderful vision that John has in Revelation chapter 12 where he sees a vision of a woman giving birth to a son of a dragon trying to destroy the son. We're told that the woman is Israel and that the son is Jesus and the the dragon is Satan and Satan's trying to kill Jesus but doesn't, he fails. And then from verse 5 we see that, that there's this war breaking out in heaven. We see that the same time that Jesus is dying on the cross Satan and Michael and the angels are having a bit of a fight. And Satan loses. He gets hurled down to earth. And he's lost his power. Satan, who is our tempter, who deceives us, who accuses us, standing before God saying, look at them, they're sinful people. Judge them. Christ has taken the judgment. So Satan has lost his power. On the cross, Christ has won. Colossians 2, Christ disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We're in a spiritual battle. Christ has won the war. How does this good news his truth, his vision, how does it help Daniel? How does it help us? I think thirdly, we're in a spiritual battle. God has won the war in Christ, so we fight by trusting in him. The vision given to Daniel, including 11 and 12, which we'll look at next week, is to be a comfort for him, is to be a help. The angel says, be strong, you're highly esteemed. It's hard You don't know the future yet, but but trust. Trust in the God that you've just seen. For us, we ought to do the same, to keep trusting in him, to see Christ in his glory, to remember his victory on the cross, to know that he is with us when we face the hardships and the opposition and the temptations. And there are weapons. There are two weapons. Did you know that? We have two weapons. Daniel is, has them. And he's doing it right now. What is he doing? He's reading. He's studying and trying to understand the word of God. He did that in chapter 9. As he searched Jeremiah to know what the future wants. And he's praying. So That's what dominates Daniel's life in chapters 9 and 10. He's, he's got the word of God and he's got prayer. And he's not just talking. His prayers make a difference. When he prays God responds. God stands an answer. And so much so that in chapter 10 we see that his prayers are affecting this battle going on in the heavenlies. This prince of the Persian empire is trying to stop this other angel getting to Daniel. And for us we too have the weapons of the word of God and of prayer does Paul say in Ephesians 6? He talks about this spiritual battle. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against what? Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. such scary stuff. We cannot fight that kind of a battle in our own strength. What do we need? Well, verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Word of God in one hand, the other hand raised in prayer, shall we say We are in a spiritual battle. Battles that we can see around us that are earthly against the world, the flesh but also against Satan. The spiritual forces. And what is our defence? Our defence is Jesus. We trust in him in what he has done in what he says in what he promises us. We put him on. We put Christ on. We clothe ourselves with the gospel. We trust in the book. (laughs) The book of truth. And so when you face opposition to your faith when people say harsh things to you and people are aggressive perhaps it's spiritual. We need to hold on to the truth when they seek to deny it we need to pray for people Second Corinthians tells us that Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers it's spiritual we need to pray that God would open the eyes of our blind. when we struggle with sin and temptation we need to pray for God's power to fight that he would show us the way out of our temptation as we wait to get over this line of the Irving process what can we do pray. Next Saturday right here for 12 hours we're going to be praying we're going to be doing spiritual warfare fighting praying that God would deal with if there are spiritual beings seeking to stop this process to harm it in different ways through the physical bodies, that duck that won't get in line that we heard about we're not going to shoot it, our weapons aren't good (laughs) As Pat said, but our weapon is prayer. Far more effective than guns. When the world is overpowering, when the future is uncertain, we need to remember Christ. His victory. The battle does go on. But we know that the war is won. And we know that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail next week Daniel will get a glimpse of war and battles that will come a bit in his future but ultimately what will happen at the very end as well so do come back for more next week let's pray Father when we read the book of Daniel and we see the great powerful kings that rise up in there their mighty armies and their great kingdoms. And we see that in the way they picture future kingdoms and even today around us there are powerful kingdoms and leaders and institutions and religions and worldviews that rise up and in different ways stand against you and what you stand for and therefore against us. And it can be scary, it can be overwhelming, it can be hard. Lord, we thank you tonight that we have we have seen God we we'll have reminded ourselves of the Lord Jesus who came who came as a man to deal with all the spiritual forces of evil defeating them at the cross rising again to win for us the eternal life with you and say so, Father help us as the battle goes on Help us to know there is a battle. Help us to trust you in it. To stand on your word. And to pray. And we look forward to the day, the final day, when you will ultimately defeat all evil forever. Amen.